Go ahead and be seated. Thank you, uh, Bishop Bob and uh, Sue, who, uh, is she not the coolest dressing 40-year-old you have ever seen? A lot of time, a lot of relationship goes into this, and Bob and I still work together and do MFI and a number of other things, and uh, my respect for Bob and Sue is very high. Uh, he is a uh, honorable man, and Sue also, and very good leader, great leader, great church planner, missions, kingdom. Uh, Bob and I have been through a lot of local church stuff with people, and He's great to troubleshoot. He's great to, you know what he's going to say. You know, what, you know where it's going to land. There's no, uh, there's no surprises. And I've always appreciated that about Bob. It's uh, principalized and it's, it's on the line. And uh, their dedication to this house and this city is uh, simply amazing. And so I'm honored to be here, uh, honored to be speaking, honored to be uh, still serving the Lord. Have my wife with me, Sharon. Uh, do you want to stand so they know that you exist? No? No, I haven't retired. Um, people say to me, so what's it feel like retired? Uh, no, we haven't retired. We are actually as busy or maybe even busier than we were before. Uh, I just felt it was time to hand the church over after the cancer bout that I had in 2014. Coming back and then taking the church again. We're multi-site and do a bunch of other stuff. Uh, it takes both hands on the steering wheel all the time, every minute, 24-7, seven days a week. College, schools, churches, and everything that goes on there. I didn't feel it was fair to the church for me to be recovering and trying to keep the momentum. Because we had great momentum and still do. Uh, but I had to go through recovery, and I knew it would take long, and it did. All of, even though my treatment stopped in 2014, in August, I, I had gone through 300 hours of chemotherapy and uh, 20 treatments of, of radiation plus spinal taps, plus, plus, plus. And so I was, uh, I was in for recovery, and I knew that. And even though I preached uh, right after I came out of treatment, I had been out of the church for eight months Hadn't preached at all, didn't do anything for eight months, was basically in the hospital. And um, came back, church was great, you know, it was an emotional experience to come back in and preach again and be there and, and experience, because I didn't know I'd ever go back to City Bible to ever preach again, you know, ever live. Uh, but we got through it and stood there and watched the church, and it was wonderful. And I preached for several months, but felt, you know, uh, I don't think I can do this the way it should be done. I can do the pulpit. Uh, I can make decisions with the guys, but I said to drive it, I said I can't drive it. I said you need more energy, you need more focus, you need a younger guy that can really pick this up and burden it and bear it because we pastored actually 25 years at City Bible and it's a burden, it's a burden to bear and it's a great thing to grow a church, but as Bob knows, it, it never leaves, it never lifts, it never changes, it's every morning, every day, it's it, every minute, you know, you're thinking about that thing called the church that you're leading. And, and so when we finally handed over to Mark and Susan Estes, who's been with me for 20 years, and is a magnificent leader, wonderful leader, sharp. I, I think he's a better uh, manager, administrator, organizer, 
that kind of a guy than I ever would be, more detailed, more than I've ever worked with in my life. And is a great preacher, had the team, had the staff, had the knowledge. And I said, Mark, you're the guy. And I said, if you're ready to run fast for the next, you know, Mark's 55. I said, you got to run fast for about 10 years. And then I said, you're going to have to do the same thing. But I said, I think your 10 years will be very, very important for City Bible Church. And he says, I'm in. I can do it. I can run hard. The guys were in. We made the transition. And then Sharon and I reinvented ourselves. Uh, moving out of cancer, I still have a, a limp because my hip is ruined because of the treatment. And so that was a blow to me because I'm a cyclist. So I can't cycle uh, except at home, and I can't uh, golf because of the move that golf does because of my hip. And uh, Jack and Brooke, I see, are here this morning, by the way. Hi. Uh, it's good to see you, Jack. You know, a lot of emotion goes into seeing you. Jack was my closest friend, his father, through it all. And, uh, well, didn't know that emotion would still be there, but it is. So it's good to see you and Brooke. Love your hair, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, we move forward, and um, we are uh, traveling. I mean, this year I'll be in 55 cities and eight countries and stuff all over the world. It doesn't stop. Uh, but my ministry is more focused to just equipping leaders, helping churches, coaching pastors personally. I coach uh, a number of pastors in a program. Um, and so our life is busy, and we're happy. We're, we're fulfilled in that and believing God to do great things in the future with uh, what we have to do to bless the body of Christ um, probably the most emotional decision I ever made was uh, for us to actually transition when, when they actually wanted me to stay longer. It was my decision against Brother Dick. Brother Dick didn't want me to do it. Sharon didn't want me to do it. The only person that wanted to do it was me and God. Uh, and that's, that's all it took. Uh, so now we're focused on, on helping and preaching and and so enough of that. I didn't even uh, want to go into that, that much. But uh, what's the time here? I imagine you're out at what time? 9, 10.30? 10.45. Okay. Good. Um, we're going to dip in. Let's, let's kind of, everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> wow, that's a, that's a story right there. Uh, now let's shift to the word, and let me minister to you for a few minutes. Uh, we're going to talk this morning about moving mountains. That's the, the name of my message, is moving mountains. And I'm going to read three scriptures, and we're going to define and then kind of move into your heart. Hopefully I can land right where you are and land on your heart. Because every person in this room, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter if you're a believer on your way to believe, uh, a prodigal on your way back, a person that's been here a long time, person that's loving God, serving God, you know, everything is more fantastic than it could ever be, or you're just kind of ho-hum, okay, I'm getting along, and, you know, life is okay, marriage is fine if you're married, and, uh, you know, business okay if you have a business, job's okay if you have a job, but, you know, just kind of moving along. And so we have every imaginable person sitting in the pew this morning in the chair uh, with all different categories of needs. Some of you have 
uh, deep emotional needs, deep mental, spiritual, physical, um, financial, relational needs in your life. None of you, as I look back with my own um, journey, I go back to 2014 when I started the year and the stuff I taught on with the eldership in January, we have two retreats, January and June. What I did with the elders that year, our whole staff actually, uh, ACLT, in January, what I was saying to them in, in January of 2014, what I preached to the church in 2014, as I was moving the church into uh, our vision and our faith and fasting and prayer for 40 days and all the stuff we would do to start the year, had no idea that I would face one of my greatest challenges in just a few months. Had, had no idea that 2014 would be not at all the way I had planned and I wouldn't live it the way I'd planned. I would actually be out of the game for most of the year. Had no idea. And you have no idea what you face not only this year, but in your life. You have no idea the curveballs and the sliders and the different kind of pitch you might have to hit. You have no idea the challenges with your health, with your children, with your marriage, with life, just with you. And so when we talk about mountains, we're talking about a very real thing. We're talking about something that Jesus talked about. And we're talking about something that you're going to have to handle. You're going to have to handle, and you're going to have to handle very well. You're going to have to handle it in a supernatural way if you're going to get through it. If you're actually going to be a mountain climber or a mountain mover, you're going to have to handle it in a way that maybe you don't have the, the kind of faith that it will take to face that specific mountain. I, I didn't know the kind of faith that it would take to, well, to move from Eugene to Portland, take the church 25 years ago now longer, that was a huge thing. That was, a, that was a mountain and a half for us to climb. It was the 12 years in Eugene, leave everything, start over again, come back to the home church. Oh, my God, this is going to be really a challenge for us. And it was a, a huge challenge for the first five to seven years. That was a mountain to climb. Raising children is a mountain to climb. And planning churches and sending missionaries and going through everything you go through in life just as a pastor and then physical stuff and, you know, what you face relationally. I never, you know, you don't know what you're going to face relationally until you go through it. And, you, and some of them will be a surprise. There'll be a mountain for you. It'll be a, it'll be a huge problem for you to get over that mountain. Well, you need to kind of breathe in what I'm going to say this morning because it's biblical that you can be a mountain mover. Even if you don't feel like a mountain mover, you have a mountain moving God. Okay, even, even if you right now would say, Another one of these faith messages, huh? Yep, that's what it's going to be. Um, well, you know, I'm just not that great of a faith guy. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. Well, you know, I just don't think I can move very many mountains. Okay, got it. It's all right. Just understand that the God you serve is a lot better and bigger than you. And even when you don't think you can climb, God says, when you get there, we'll climb the mountain. When, when you get there, 
you'll climb the mountain. You know, I've said to people hundreds of times in praying with them at the altar and praying with people in counseling situations, don't buy tomorrow's trouble. Don't go to tomorrow's mountain. You, uh, climb the one that's in front of you. When you get there, then climb that mountain. Don't, don't try to climb mountains that you, you, you're 100 miles from. You can't climb the mountain you're 100 miles from. You have to wait till you get to the mountain. Don't try to get there too fast. Wait till it comes, and then you'll have grace to climb it. I'm telling you right now, God gives grace for the mountain when the mountain is there. Not when you imagine it to be there. When you actually face the mountain. In the Gospels, there are three times where Jesus uses this analogy. It's going to come on your screen pretty soon, but not yet. I'm, I'm going to read one. Our text will be on the screen, but don't put it up yet. There are three times where Jesus refers to this thing, mountain. You'll recognize the scriptures. But you, know, you might not remember the context. So let's, let's get the context down. Where Jesus says, speak to the mountain, it'll move. Let's get the context down. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Mark 11, 22 through 24, where Jesus uses this analogy, it's about the fig tree. And the fig tree should have had fruit, but it didn't. So Jesus cursed the fig tree. We're not going to get into the cursing of the fig tree and the time of the year and all that, but it could be interesting. I just want to point out what the disciples' response was when Jesus looked at the tree and he said, you should be a fruit-bearing tree and you're not, and I curse you. But the, the miracle was when he cursed the tree, it immediately dried up. It didn't dry up over the next nine months. It immediately immediately stopped and changed into a withered tree. It was a miracle. And a weird, kind of a strange miracle. But this is what it says in Message Translation, Mark 11. Jesus was, matter of fact, embraced this God life. This is Eugene Peterson's reading of this translation. He's so good at this. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. Now, either Jesus is exaggerating, which I would say he doesn't, or he's lying, obviously he doesn't, or we don't get the full impact of what he's trying to say, obviously that's close to the truth. And he's obviously saying something from a standpoint, a perspective, a, a world he lives in is one that I don't live in, that's probably true. So Jesus says, and nothing, everyone shout nothing. nothing. Now, can that can that even be near truth that Jesus would say to these guys and say to us through the Holy Scripture? And nothing will be too much for you. Well, I can think of a dozen things that are too much for me. How about you? You got a few? I can think of a few things that I would say, that's too much for me. She'd say, no, it's really not. It's your perspective. It's nothing will be too much for you, Frank. Well, I don't know how to get a hold of that. This mountain, everyone say this mountain. For instance, just say, go jump in the lake. Now turn to your neighbor and say, go jump on the lake. That's enough. That's enough. No shuffling or shilly-shallying. And it's as good as done. Wow. That's why I urge you to pray, 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 pray for absolutely everything, ranging from small to large. Include everything as you embrace this God life. And then he says this, and you'll get God's everything. You'll get, quote, 
quotation, write it down, God's everything. I don't want my everything, just what I can believe for, see, and imagine. And, you know, I want that thought to be in my heart. I want to live that. I want, I want that right there, that God has everything for me that's different than what I see. Okay, I got that. So he's saying to them, you can do this, but you're going to have to talk to this mountain. Now, let's read Matthew 21. Again, it's the fig tree, but it's a different writer. Matthew 21, 20. The disciples saw it happen. Matthew 21, 20. They rubbed their eyes, saying, did we really see this? A leafy tree one minute and a dry stick the next. But Jesus was matter. In fact, yes, and if you embrace this kingdom life. And you don't doubt God. You'll not only do minor feats like this tree shriveling up in front of your eyes, but you'll also triumph over the huge, real obstacles of life. This mountain, everyone say this mountain. mountain. For instance, you'll say to it, move. And it will move. Now, Matthew 17, where Jesus is not dealing with a fig tree, he's dealing with the demon. So I want you, the reason I've read, read the three is, I want you to see that the teaching on the mountain It's not just one time, one mention, and Jesus goes on. It had to be one of his core teachings. It had to be one of his core attitudes. It had to be one of the core principles that he was trying to move into the group of people that were following him. And now he's cast out a demon, and they're going, wow, this is simply unbelievable that we tried, but you came here and you spoke to that demon and that demon was out. This is really unbelievable. Matthew 17, Jesus starts now with the same core principle because, Matthew 17, 20, because you're not yet interested in how Jesus responds to these guys saying, how can we do this? How can we do this? And he says, because you're not yet taking God seriously. The simple truth is that if you had a mere kernel of faith, like a poppy seed, you would tell this mountain, move. And it would move. There is nothing you wouldn't be able to tackle. Because you will say, now what is he saying in these three verses? Four things that frames in this hermeneutically or way for us to interpret for you to remember and maybe pray through and understand how important this is for you and me because unless you grasp this, it's going to be very hard to move anything in your life or move any mountains that you face. This is a spiritual dimension truth. Jesus is using the physical to illustrate the spiritual, and so there's a spiritual dimension truth that he's saying, if you could really understand this. Second, there's a spiritual reality. This is what Jesus is showing and saying, and this is what you and I have to kind of embrace if you go anywhere, the spiritual reality of the unseen. He said, the unseen, 
There's an unseen world that moves the seen world. There's a, there's a supernatural. There's a realm. There's, there's something in that realm that has power to affect your realm. And I'm showing you that. And if you had faith for this, you could say to that thing, the mountain is not physical. It's not terra firma. It's not the dirt. It's not the tree. It's not the demon. It's not just those tangible things. Jesus is saying, here's a spiritual reality. It's spiritual truth. It's an expression of faith. And it's a seed idea. What he is saying is not that you have to have just the smallest seed like small faith. It's not that he's trying to illustrate and somehow endorse small faith. He's just saying that faith in any dose is powerful. Faith in any dose is a very powerful thing. Now, why do we not move mountains? Because we are into the seen realm. We're into what we feel, what we see, the circumstance, the, the stuff around us, the finances we have, the, the business that we're dealing with, the relationships. We're, we're into the realm of the seen, and we live 99% in that realm. And every once in a while, we get really spiritual, and we start thinking about the spiritual realm. And there's mountains in the tangible realm that need to move. And God says, now, if you would just say to that mountain, I don't even have, I don't want to talk about that mountain. I don't want to, I don't, think, I, I don't see that mountain moving and so I'm not going to talk to it and I'm not going to pray about it that way because I just don't understand it that way. Well, that's where I want to get your attention about the mountains in your life. I, I want you right now, if you would, just take a second and write down, write down, Three mountains you might be facing in your life. Just write something down. And probably most of you could write five or ten. But I want you to write down at least three. Mountains would be those things that seem impossible, seem immovable, unclimbable, discouraging. And we'll talk about that. But I want you to write down for your own life. What would you think are the mountains that you are facing right now that maybe you quit trying to climb? Or maybe you've given up on yourself. Or maybe the circumstance just will not change. Or you can't see a restoration process. Or you, you have no way to understand how God could maneuver the situation and bring about something good. You, you just can't see it. Write it down. Here's my definition of mountains as you write. Mountains represent, now think of your own life. Mountains represent the barriers, hindrances, obstacles, problems, impossible things in front of you that come in various sizes and unique to each person. They can be moved, and then it kind of moves you to that faith round to actually say, and shall be moved. They can be moved. Most of us believe that. But the shall be is a, okay, they shall be moved. And God is my mountain mover. And so we, we start with those things that could be in us right now. Surprises come in that we don't even have a clue about. Discouraging things we don't know how to handle. All different sizes for every teenager, young adult, young married Middle-aged, married, retired, I uh, hate using that word, uh, people that are older, 
people that are going through stuff. Mountains. Barriers. What are they? They're barriers to a better future for you. And there are mountains that represent obstacles that if you would move them, you'd have a better life. And there are mountains that if you would climb, you'd have better vision. There are mountains that if you can somehow speak to them and see them dissolve, you'll have a great faith realm that you will experience in the spirit realm that will give you more options to move things around and more options to go forward and more options to make decisions because you've experienced an answer of God's prayer and how he can do the supernatural, how he can do the impossible. And before you know it, you start believing for more things and greater things and bigger things. Why? Because if you see God move in the small realm, you'll have faith for the huge realm. And so you have to start where you are. Now, faith can move a mountain. I believe that because Jesus said it. But hear me. Just like faith can move a mountain, unbelief can create a mountain. Unbelief creates the wrong set of imaginations. Unbelief actually creates strongholds that should not even be in your mindset. But because of your doubt and your unbelief that changes your perspective, you're actually seeing things that aren't even there. And you're creating things that aren't even there. And you can't get over them because you're actually warring against an enemy that doesn't exist. Because you have created a mountain with your unbelief that God is saying it's not the mountain that you got to move. It's your unbelief that you got to move because your unbelief has created a mountain that I can't move because that mountain doesn't even exist. So how's your thinking? And what happens when someone says to you, well, this is the problem. Say, well, yeah, that I could never... Can't do anything about that. I remember when we were trying to buy the property over at 217. We were our first multi-site. There was properties here, there, and everywhere, but I wanted to be on the freeway in a good location for our first spot. And there was that one General Motors building that was right on the freeway, right before you get off to the Washington uh, Mall there, the, the big mall, and and the population, I mean, thousands of cars. I said, I think I want to be right there. And the real estate agent laughed at me and said, Frank, you and everybody else. And I said, I realize that, but I said, I, that's where I want to try and go. He says, you can't try and go there. There's no way to go. And I said, listen, if you're going to work for me as a real estate agent, you're going to work for me on my basis of thinking, not yours or else I'm not going to work with you. He says, what does that mean? I said, I believe things that don't exist. <laughs> and he says, like what, a contract? I said, exactly. He said, Frank, let me clue you in a little bit because you're kind of naive in this marketplace here. But, and he said, there's 31 people in front of you. 31 people have bids and ready to buy that building. 31 people with money that want that property. I said, that does not move me. 
He says, that's because you're naive. And I said, no, it's because you're naive. I said, I operate in this realm. You operate in that realm. I'm going to go with my realm. If you don't go with my realm, I fire your realm. <laughs> and he kind of laughed nervously because he saw that I was actually serious. He goes, okay, well, uh, <laughs> fine. So what do you do with your realm? Well, then he had me. I, I don't know what I do with my realm. Well, what I did is I cut to the chase. I said, where's the owner? He said, you can't talk to him. He's a passive owner. He lives in New Jersey. I said, I'm going to go to New Jersey and talk to him. He said, the owner's never been here. He's just an investor. This property means nothing to him. It's been here for a long time. But he, I said, I want to talk with the owner. Well, long and short story. We talked to the owner. The owner had a mother and a grandmother that was a woman of faith that wanted him to do something for God. He was not at all a godly man, but because of his mother and his grandmother, and we were going to put a church there, number 32 became number one. That's right. That is exactly how it happened. And when we became number one, and we got the building because we bought it from him, cut through the chase with all the real estate agents. And there were real estate agents coming by our building while we were cleaning up and getting ready to move in. And they were all asking the same question. Did, did this building sell? Yeah, it sold. Who to? A church. A church bought this property? They can't afford this property. And they weren't in. How did they get it? Well, we function from a different realm. We call those things that are not as though they are. And we have a realm called faith that actually believes for things that nobody else can do. But God has a habit of working with people that will try to move into that realm. So I ask you, what's stopping you? What is it that stops you? From the better relationship, the better job, the better business, the better life, getting rid of certain habits, getting rid of... What is it that keeps you from tithing? Fear, doubt, unbelief. You create mountains. I won't have enough money. That's a lie. That's a lie. Well, we can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. And so you're believing with doubt and unbelief and looking at your money and say, well, I get, you know... $3,000 a month and my bill's at $3,100 and I take $300 from the three, that's $2,700, so I'm $400 in a hole every month. You're $400 in a hole because you don't put God first right now. If you put God first, he'll give you a shovel and you'll dig out of the hole. Either you have faith for that or you have unbelief. And when you look at the checkbook, unbelief. When it comes to giving, unbelief. My wife and I have never given 10%. Maybe first year of marriage, 10% was a low number for us. 20%, 30%, 10% was not the way we would live. And you know, we didn't make a lot of money. But you have to speak to the realm you have in order to get to the realm you don't have. And if you can't deal with the realm you have, you won't get to the realm that you wish you could get to because you won't even deal with the mountain that's right in front of you right now. 
I can't tell you how many times in my pastoral life that people have said to me, and when we get a lot of money, Pastor Frank, we're going to give a lot of money to the church. My question to them always is, and how much do you give now? They say, well, we can't give much now, you know. I say, are you, are you practicing tithing? Well, Pastor Frank, our business, you know, it's just stuff is just kind of backwards right now. But when it turns around, and I always just simply and nicely say to them, it's not until you put a principle in place. And that principle is not money, it's faith. Tithing is not money, it's faith. Giving anything, your life, your time. Well, you know, I work so much, I don't have any time left. Faith, I, I mean, unbelief and doubt goes to your time, to your lifestyle, your money and everything, every mountain in front of you. Okay, here, here's some, some points I want to get to. Um, here's some mountains that you will face, all right? I'm going to give you like four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever time we have, but here they are. Number one, mountains are impossible looking. Mountains are impossible looking. Dreams that now look impossible, why? You don't have enough time left, not enough resources. It's that impossible thing to do with your dream, your future, your, your hope, your vision. As a young person, as a mid-age, whatever age you are, it's that mountains look impossible, those dreams that look impossible. Impossible is a lie. Impossible is only how you see it. It's amazing how you'll change your perspective. And what was impossible now seems possible. It's the way it is in medicine. It's the way it is with everything in the industries. What used to be, uh, even with running the, the mile or, or scoring so many touchdowns or what would happen with a basketball player, how many points he could score. It used to be 20 points in a... And the game was like a huge thing. Now it's 40, 50 points and three points. Like if you made three of them, that'd be huge. Now the guys are making eight, 10, and 12 of them. Why? Because they broke through a, a barrier they, in the mile running, in the industry, and in whatever it might be. Impossible is a lie because when you begin to move into it, you find in the realm of God, most, most of everything you think is impossible is possible. In God possible. Alice in Wonderland. Deep theology here. <laughs> this is the queen talking to Alice. The queen talking to Alice. All right, here it goes. Alice, there is no use trying, said Alice. One can't believe impossible things. You'll have to watch it again because you're saying, was that really in there? It's in there. And the queen says to Alice, I dare say, you haven't had much practice, Alice. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Hello? Alice, it, it, I can't do that. The queen says, of course you can't. You just don't have enough practice. You have to start practicing to move the little mountains. Start practicing 
the little prayers with faith to get to the big prayer. Start practicing miracles and healings on the small things. Before you go after cancer, go after the common cold. Before you go after the crippled walking, go after somebody with a sprained ankle. You have to practice. You've got to practice prayer. Practice giving. Practice, practice, practice. It means you have to maneuver yourself into a place where you do the works of God and not just talk about them. Number two, mountains are defeat invoking. Why? Because they defeated us in the past. We can't see a way that we're going to overcome them now. So we begin to have a defeatist mentality. And that defeat turns us into a person that we begin to think wrong, act wrong, because we've been defeated. Because we can't get back up. Because we can't overcome that. As you know, in the business world, most all successful business people have gone bankrupt at least twice. It's not that they were the smartest. It's that they had the most perseverance. They didn't give up. They came back to it. Do you know how much money Bill Gates lost before he ever gained of his own personal money? You know how much Steve Jobs lost before he ever gained? How many lawsuits came against him? How many times he should have given it over to someone else and given up and walked away? It dozens of times. Why? It's not so much to the people that have the greatest charisma and the greatest gift and the greatest perspective. It's really to the person that gets that dog bone they won't let go of. It's the kind of faith that says, I, I won't let go. No, I'm going to get up again. No, I'm going to try this again. Nope, I'm going to start another business. You're going to start another business. Are you kidding me? You're going to start another one? You have failed twice? You left us hopelessly in debt? Now, for some people, the counsel will be, go hang yourself and don't start a business. I understand that. For some people, they shouldn't. But for many of those people, it should be what has been defeated in the past. It's not going to be my future. I'm going to climb this mountain. Helen Keller. All the world is filled with suffering. Duh. Okay, got it. Coming from Helen, I really got it. Okay, you're, you suffered so much. She doesn't stop there. It is also filled with overcoming. So the whole world is filled with suffering. But it's also filled with overcoming. And so whatever you suffer with, whatever dysfunctionality, whatever heritage, whatever family tree problem, whatever, whatever you suffer with, or it could just be physical, you can overcome it. But overcoming is not some kind of an emotional thing. Overcoming is grit your teeth. Hang in there and believe God for a better day, and that better day will come. Even if it doesn't look like it's better now, give it some time. It will get better. Get that kind of faith. Number three, mountains are completely intimidating. Intimidation, I would have to say, is one of the enemy's greatest weapons. He just intimidates us. So we paralyze. We won't try. We won't go. We won't do. We're paralyzed. Number four, mountains cannot be moved by your own strength. So that's when you begin to get more serious. 
not just in January, but throughout the year, to pray and to fast and to believe God, to memorize scriptures. If you're not much of a, uh, much of a faith person, grab about 10 or 15 faith scriptures, memorize them, and start quoting them every day. I guarantee you, over a period of time, your attitude will change. But if you want to remain an unbeliever in, in your belief system and a doubter and a weakling and a, and a person that's tossed to and fro and you can't bite into anything, you don't do it, then that just means you won't change this year even though you fast and pray and get some great preaching from Bob and you have some great goals and you write them down. You won't change if you don't get the word of God smack dab in the middle of your heart to say, it's not me, it's God. It's not my strength, it's his strength. It's not my power, it's his power. And the Bible says in Luke 1, 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. I'm going to go with that mindset. I'm going to go with that prayer. I'm going to pray that way over this situation. And you keep praying that way. After weeks and months, things change. Five mountains can impede your progress with God. Because you start, if, if you don't climb them or move them, you can start saying, God can't help me. Worse, worse would be, I don't deserve God's help. I don't deserve it. Why would God help me? Or, if you get really discouraged, you might start saying, uh, God hasn't helped me in the past. I mean, you know, my mom died of cancer, and my brother got in a car wreck, and he's paralyzed. My aunt just went through a nasty divorce, and my uncle just abused three of the cousins. And you're telling me that I can have some kind of a spirit of faith for my progress in God and some kind of a, a belief system that God's going to work and God's going to move. What I'm telling you is this. There is nothing outside of God's power and hand to work. You have to have the patience and the prayer and the perseverance to believe that God can somehow heal your heart, heal your emotions. One of our closest people in our life went through the most unbelievable problem with her father being a sexual abuser to all of her little friends all of her life she didn't know about when she found out about that talk about a devastating unbelievable blow to your life to your faith and and fathers and men and God and why did God hide why did God let those little girls get destroyed why 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 you you can ask why forever what you have to do is start asking God, what do you want in this situation? You can't answer the whys. And if you're a counselor, don't try to answer the why. There is no why. It's fallen nature. It's, it's demonic. It's horrible. It's, it's sin. It's, it's corruption. It's, it's everything that's wrong. But the what, God, what can you do for my heart? What can you teach me? What can you help me minister to other young girls? What can you do to rebuild? You have to go to the what. Don't let your mountains stop your progress and don't start talking to yourself. God's not interested in my situation. I don't deserve this and God's not going to help me and it hasn't helped in the past. And, and by the way, you know, one of the first things I did when I came out of cancer, because I was, I was in a cancer ward, you know, a lot of beds on that ward. And I spent five days, 24-7, hooked up to chemo every month. A week of that, a week of feeling pretty good, a week of absolutely horrible, unbelievable sickness. And then another week starting to recover, and you're back. And you start all over again month after month. 
Remember the first time I went through it, I said, Sharon, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. I can see down the tunnel. That tunnel looks so long. And what I feel right now is I'd rather just go to heaven than go through another one of these treatments ever again in my whole life. That's after the first treatment. What I did walking around my ward one day is I realized every, everything around me, everything around me is death. I couldn't walk because my nerves in my right leg were ruined. So they had to walk me around, but they tried to get me out of bed every day and walk me around the ward. And every room, every room, there's no, there's no smiles, there's no laughter, it's quiet, it's the hum of the machines, it's the nurses whispering, it's families crying, it's people staring into nothingness, it's people trying to embrace, it's people, they're all dying. They're, every single one in that room is dying. And they're dying, some of them very quickly, with no way to stop it. And as I'm walking around that room, I realize I'm surrounded with death. I'm surrounded with an attitude of, there, there's no God. Girl on this side, leukemia, young girl, beautiful girl. Another young guy came in after she died and took her bed. He was only 23. Every reason to live. And their, their attitude about life would be right in a sense. I, I don't see how God could do this to me. And I don't know why he would let this happen to me. Talking to people that had two small children, a mother with, with two small kids, and she's there. And you think, well, God, why, why would you let this mother go through this? And why me with my church? And why them with their age? And there's all kinds of whys. But if you get above the why, you run into the thing called the sovereignty of God. And if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, I'll tell you right now, you're not going to move many mountains and you're going to live a very discouraged life. If you don't have a doctrine of the sovereignty of God that God knows best, does best, is best, he's a loving God, a wonderful God, he works all things after the counsel of his own wisdom and his own love, and whatever has happened to me is nothing compared to eternity. Therefore, I will not let this mountain stop my progress. It's your perspective. Your perspective. How about this one? Mountains are hopeless things that never change. Things you keep trying to change. Number seven, mountains are dark places. Well, I could talk about that for a while, but my time is gone. I want to end with a confession here. Mountains are dark places. Number eight, mountains are absolutely insurmountable circumstances that every person in this room will go through sometime in your life, the circumstances that seem to be unchangeable. Now, I'd like you to end up, I, I think these are on the screen, my last points on I will, those nine things. Do I have those? Yeah, go ahead and put up the first one. I will believe in but Okay. I want you to read out loud with me a great way to say to your mountain, whatever your mountain is, these are great phrases to speak to your mountain. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. By faith, I want you to do it. Put your pen and paper away. Put your iPad down. Close your phone. 
Bob will give you these and, and he'll make them available somehow, you know, because you can't write all nine of these down this fast. I just want you to say them with me. Are you ready? Number one, I will believe. Number two, Number three, I will look impossible in the eye. Yeah, I want you to shout the word move. move. That was like a wave coming, move. <laughs> Number four. Come on. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. And nine. Zechariah four six. And I end with this. It says, Zechariah four. It says, "Say to the mountain, say to the mountain, say to the mountain." Grace, grace, that is God's power to that mountain. Say to that mountain, whatever your mountain is, God can move. God can move mountains. How many of you would say, you know what? This message helped me. Let me see your hands. Say, you know what? I got it. I got it. All right, stand to your feet. Stretch your hands toward heaven one more time as Pastor Bob comes. Just stretch your hands toward heaven and just, just say out loud, Jesus, 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 Jesus here, I am. here I am. And I say to my mountains, to my mountains move, 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 move. That's my prayer. And that's my heart. Every mountain can be, shall be, moved in the name of Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a shout and a clap right now.